CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. We're glad you've joined us. Looking forward to being with you, as we always are, every weekday afternoon at this time. And so if you've got a question you'd like to ask us, we've got some lines open right now. And that number again, 8888-ASK-CSN. And uh, you can be part of the program today, live radio. And again, we always do our very best to give you good, solid answers. You know, there's a lot of stuff going around today. A lot of it, most of it isn't true, especially when it comes to the internet. And uh, so we want to give you really God's word. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, you leave Jesus out of any equation, you're not going to have truth. You're going to have a lot of fluff. And that's what we want to really see Jesus do in these days that we live in, is to bring us into his wonderful, glorious light. That number again, 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. And if you've been reading your Bible, someone's asked you a question. Hey, that's why we're here, to help you do a better job for our king. Joining me today, special guest, featured speaker here on CSN on the weekend, Scott Barker. A word for the church from Calvary Chapel, Festus, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, welcome. Hello, Mike. It is great to be with you today here on a Thursday. Exciting. I know. You'll, you'll get me all mixed up. I, I think I'm having a, <laughs> uh, having a Monday on a Thursday. But uh, yeah. no, looking forward. Yeah, as we get older, we don't need to. We don't need any help getting mixed up. No, sure. no, we don't, Callie. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I, I was out today. Um, it, it's supposed to turn cold here in southern Idaho uh, tomorrow. I mean, mm-hmm. like in like you know fifties, sixties, and Ooh, today it's like seventy five. Yeah. And I was out uh, cleaning, you know, draining the water out of my swamp cooler and stuff like that, so it doesn't freeze in the winter. And you know, it's so weird, Scott. I look at that and I go. Man, I just turned this on. It seems like a couple of weeks ago, and you know, uh, you know the old saying: "The older you get, the faster time goes." I think that's why Paul says our life is but a vapor. Because man, we're here for a short time and then we're gone. You know, when you're five years old, your mom tells you to go stand in the corner for five minutes. It seems like twenty-five years. Now, five minutes is like a blink. And so, how important it is to be about our father's business because we'll all be before him very soon. And I want to see all of you get the biggest reward you can, not just for God to look at you and say, well, you made it. I want God to look at all of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord because those rewards are going to last forever. Let's go to the phones. We have Linda on the line, Tallahassee, Florida. Hi, welcome. Hi, pastors. How are you both doing? Good. How may we help? Well, I have been hearing on the news uh, from uh, the SRN News Network as a Christian on a Christian station. They talk about mainline denominations and that these denominations are more woke and, you know, they they, uh, approve of gay marriage, etc. Who are the mainline denominations? Well, I think it'd be like your um, Nazarene, Baptist, Methodist. Um, you know, that that venue of churches. And of course, not every one of those are, are goofy, but 
um, you know, you get into the Episcopalians and you get into the Greek Orthodox, and there's so many out there. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, I'm actually looking at something right now, Mike, that I think might be a big help. And um, George Barna, in 2009, he published a list of churches that are commonly considered as mainline. And it's here's what's included in it. American Baptist churches in the USA, Episcopal Church, Evangelical Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church of USA, United Methodist Church, the United Church of Christ, uh, the Christian Church and the Disciples of Christ, uh, churches like that. These are, uh, you know, Protestant denominations uh, that have a history. They're, they're they're historic in the sense that they've been around for a long time, and really that's what is meant by the the term mainline denominations is uh, that these churches have been around, you know, for quite a long time, and so they're kind of like the main denominations uh, that began here, at least in our country. Mike? Now, Linda, is there a particular question you have about those denominations by any chance? Well, I know that I know that some of them, like the Episcopal and the Methodist, and those ones have been, you know, decimated by this stuff. But like the Baptists, I don't. Maybe a couple of Baptists, but I don't think the Baptists are quite, you know, as bad in that way. But that that was really what I wanted to know was really. Who was considered mainline? Well, I, I think there, again, there's a lot of mainline churches. There are some much more liberal, much more woke, much more anti-American, if you will. And then there's others that are are those that have adhered to God's word. They haven't been uh, changed by the, by the course of today. The Bible says, be careful of following not the course of this world, and the word course there in the Bible is the word for weather vane. Whichever way the wind is blowing in the world, it seems that the way the people go. And now we're finding the churches going that way. So you find uh, different denominations condoning homosexual marriage. You find all kinds of crazy things going on in the name of Jesus, which if they really followed the Bible, they would know that what they're doing is so far outside of the guidelines of God's word, they would be considered apostate uh, uh, by simply by simply applying God's word. So, I, I believe that again, as we use the word mainline denominations, some are still evangelical, some have abandoned God's word and gone with the the warm fuzzies of of the day, um, and and I think this is where a lot of the problems that we find right now um, nationally and globally is that uh, churches aren't teaching God's word. If they were teaching God's word, uh, they would know that what their church, what their church genre stands for um, is unbiblical. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's, that's what's going on uh, in a lot of the mainline denominations is um, they are, trying, I believe, what they're trying to do um, is they're trying to be relevant um, because as as things changed, you know, and honestly, uh, Mike, you know, with with the Jesus movement and everything that happened in the 60s and 70s when uh, people were no longer attracted um, to, you know, big church buildings and all the flash of, of, of mainline denominations, um, you know, since then they've tried to accommodate and try to be relevant 
Yeah, they, they, I think that this is one of the great problems. They try to, they try yep. to be, be relevant, but that's at uh, compromising <laughs> God's word, and that's tragic. Yeah, it's at the expense of the truth. And also another thing that's, that's also had an effect on them too is their seminaries became very liberal uh, with a lot of liberal professors. And and I think this is, again, one of the great problems. You know, this is one of the great problems that we have today. And, and so, like I say, for everybody, you need to get into a teach to a church that teaches the full counsel of God's Word, because that's going to protect you from the days to come. Linda, I hope that helps. Thank you very much. Yes, it does. It's so tragic when you hear things about, especially like, the Methodists. I mean, Wesley would be rolling in his grave. He knew what was going on in oh. church that he started. It's just pitiful, really pitiful. Well, you, you'll find that that on the average, uh, a, a great movement of God uh, uh, lasts about 50 years. And then, you know, this, the next generation comes up and they don't realize really the great things God did. And so you'll find it waning a bit. So you'll find Many of these uh, mainline denominations, as an as an example, started off on fire. They were evangelistic. They were sending missionaries all over the world. Now they are as bad or worse than than many uh, of the beliefs uh, in the world. What's even worse is that they mix a little Jesus in with these pagan ideas and call it Christianity. And so, Linda, stay in line. We'll send you out the movie Jesus based on the book of Luke. I think you'll really enjoy that. And uh, come up with any other questions, please give us a call. Let's go to Patricia in Honolulu. Aloha. Aloha. How may we help? I want to know who wrote the book of Genesis. Most people attribute that to Moses. Your thoughts? Yes, exactly. And um, what's interesting about that is when you look in Matthew chapter 19, uh, Jesus, when he's answering the question about marriage, he he actually refers back to the book of Leviticus, says it was written by Moses. And then it, down that same vein, when he's talking about the books that were written by Moses, then he quotes the book of Genesis, talking about, though in the book of Leviticus, um, God went ahead and gave Moses the permission to give people the right to write a letter of divorce, uh, a, a certificate of divorcement. Um, what's interesting, he then quoted the book of Genesis, uh, which also was written by Moses. And so we see that. But you have to understand, too, that in the Jewish mind, the law and when we see in the New Testament, the law being referred to by Jesus, by the apostles, to the Jewish mind, the law included the book of uh, the book of Genesis. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were all the five books written by Moses, considered to be the law. And so every time uh, you see one of the gospel, or you see one of the yeah the gospel writers or the apostles refer back to the law and connect it to Moses, that would include the book of Genesis. So um, that is uh, that is the uh, accepted uh, idea that Moses did write all of those. So I hope that helps. Yes, thank you. Well, ble- uh, blessings to you, Patricia. If you like, stay in line. I'll send you out the DVD, the Movie Jesus. I think you'll enjoy it. Great to show your friends, and um, we'll get that out to you, okay? Okay, thank you. 
Patricia, God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Mahalo. And let's go to Jeffrey, Mineral Wells, Texas. Hi, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Um, you guys had a caller, uh, I think it was last week, his name was Bert, and he was talking about the believers going into the tribulation or asking about that. But my question is, what about unbelievers? And, uh, the, if the, when, the, when the tribulation is over, the Lord is, he's got his feet on the Mount of Olives and he's, he's bank, uh, vanquished the, the armies that have came against him, uh, you know, there in the Middle East. And but what about the guys in good old Texas? You know, that's an unbeliever, you know, or, or Idaho or wherever that, that he somehow survived. Do the unbelievers, do they just waltz right into the millennium or yes. are they devoured by the sword of, of the Lord's mouth? Nope, nope. They, they, the only ones that are devoured by the Lord himself at that particular time are the ones there in the Valley of Megiddo in the great battle of Armageddon. And those who have taken the mark of the beast, those as well will not go in to the millennial reign of Christ. Now, there are people that have not accepted Christ. Maybe they live in some remote island or, or some place like this. Maybe they were able to just blend into the crowd. I don't know. But they didn't take the mark of the beast. But they're not necessarily a Christian. I believe they will go in to the millennial reign. Uh, and uh, because we do know that at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, and people will be having babies and everything like that. The lifespan of human beings will be almost a thousand years again. That there will be non-believers as well, because when Satan is loosed, as sand is on the seashore, the Bible says, they come against Jesus uh, to make war with him. Now, mind you, they have lived in a perfect environment, perfect food, perfect ecosystem, perfect everything, perfect government. And they still rebel, which proves, and I believe this is one of the reasons why we have the great millennial reign of Christ, is to prove to everyone the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? And as Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. It is not within man to live righteously on his own. And so I believe that God gives a thousand years to prove to all humans, all the angels, everywhere, that man, apart from the salvation of Jesus Christ, will stay in his sins and still rebel against God. Your thoughts? Yeah, and it's interesting, too, because you have a judgment of the nations uh, that occurs after the tribulation period and before the millennium, uh, and this is usually called the judgment of the sheep and the goats, and that's where they appear before Jesus, and Jesus will judge uh, what Zechariah in Zechariah chapter uh, 14, I believe it is, calls calls it the residue of the nations, uh, those who are left over uh, from the nations of the earth after the dust of the tribulation settles, and here are these people, and you can read about that in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, so it's very interesting because when you go to the book of Daniel in chapter 12, at the very end of that book, um, when it speaks of the Messiah returning to the earth, um, which we'll, which we see right in Revelation chapter 19. Well, the millennium starts in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, but Daniel speaks of a, of a period of time after the Messiah comes back. There's a 45 day period where a lot of Bible scholars believe that during that time, 
as Jesus setting up his kingdom, that will be when he will judge the nations, which would include the unbelievers who are still alive after the tribulation. Uh, but you can read about that um, uh, again at the end of the book of Daniel and then in Matthew chapter 25. Mike? And absolutely. Anybody that took the mark of the beast will not go into uh, the millennial reign and yeah. will not go into heaven either. So there's uh, a, a double whammy there, and uh, that's why I tell it people everywhere. Well, what if you what if you ask the Lord to forgive you after that? The Bible clearly says you take the mark of the beast, you're lost. And yes. so we just take God's word for what it says. We don't want to add to the book of Revelation. Read Revelation chapter 22. What happens to those who do? Uh, we don't want to take away from God's word. Again, Revelation chapter 2 tells you what happens to those who do that. So, uh, Jeffrey, I hope that helps. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you very much. Have a great day. God bless you, Jeffrey. And uh, again, um, uh, stay in line if you like. Send you out the movie Jesus. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's go to Lisa, Palm Springs, California. Hi, welcome. Hello. Yes. Yes. Um, Okay, I have a question about prayer my understanding that um, prayer is one of our greatest weapons against the enemy. And um, I know that the Bible says when two or more are gathered together, asking it will be received. That's the paraphrase. But can you pray against the enemy on your own? And how do you do that? Well, first of all, when you pray individually, it's that personal relationship with God. When two or more are gathered, you might say that's getting kind of like church there. You're, you're, you're be, you're, you're bigger than just you yourself. And I believe this is why when we petition God, the Bible says two, three touch any one thing, agree on it. God will do that. I I believe in the power of prayer. I I've seen God heal people that the doctors have given up on. Um, and all these different things that God does. But I, I find that when there's more than two, then we, we enter into more of the body of Christ, your thoughts. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And I really do believe in the, in the, uh, in the prayer, the corporate prayer of the church. It's very important. We see it throughout the book of Acts. Uh, if you remember when Peter and John were threatened not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus, uh, and then they were loosed, they went back to the church there in Acts four. And what did they do? They got together and they prayed and when they prayed, what happened was, is the, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they had the power to go ahead and preach the gospel uh, in, in spite of the threats and the persecution that they endured. Um, there's a lot of wonderful benefits uh, if you look through the, um, the New Testament uh, to praying together and praying corporately. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about James in James chapter five, uh, where it tells us if there's any sick among us, that what we do is we call for the elders of the church. That's, that's plurality. That's a corporate prayer, uh, where the elders anoint us with oil and pray for us. Uh, so you see examples, um, of this corporate prayer, uh, all over the New Testament. I do think it's important that when it comes to that particular scripture, and I do believe you can apply that particular scripture, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. And then, you know, to ask and, and agree. Um, but I think also that if you look at the context there in Matthew 18, what he's speaking about particularly is he's speaking about uh, church discipline. 
He's speaking about whenever uh, a brother or sister has been offended or sinned against by another brother or sister, and they go to them privately and they can't settle it. Uh, the person doesn't repent. Then they go and get one or two more brothers or sisters and come together. And if he still doesn't repent, then you bring him to the church, which I understand that as bringing him to the leadership of the church. If he's if he's in clear unrepentant sin, uh, especially again when it's when he's sinned against another brother or sister, and um, it's after that that when the leaders then deal with him or her and they don't repent, then he says there that whatever you agree upon uh you know will be will be bound in heaven loosed in heaven you know whatever you loose and bind here on earth that's what he's talking about he's talking actually about the authority that the church has to deal with sinning brothers and sisters and then that's where he says where two or three are gathered in my name i'm there with you so what jesus is actually saying is he's saying that i am in the church I'm with the church, even when they have to do the hard work of church discipline. Um, I'm there uh, agreeing and in the midst uh, of what's going on when you do things biblically. So that's kind of the context of that uh, particular verse. And I think it is important to keep it in context. But at the same time, the principle is true that Jesus is in the midst of his church. We we see that in Revelation chapter 1, where, Jesus, where John saw Jesus. Uh, in his vision of the Lord in the Revelation, in the midst of the of the candlesticks, which represent the church, Jesus, through his spirit, is in and with the church. He's in us all as believers, and when we gather together, he's there with us. And so um, that does uh, really make a prayer a powerful thing uh, as well. Mike? I hope that helps. Well, can I add, can I add, my, my question is mainly because when I, when I run into somebody that is not a believer, and they're they're sick or they're in pain. Does my prayer with this non-believer that they allow me to pray for them? Does that is that heard by God? And do, is there any power in that? Well, sure, because you're the reason why God's listening, not because of them. You know, it's like um, uh, you're walking down the street, and uh, some kid you don't know comes up and says, "Hey, hey, lady, buy me a bicycle." You'd go, I don't know who you are. You know, you might ride it out in front of a bus. No, I'm not going to buy you a bicycle. But if your own child came up to you and said, Mommy, would you buy me a bicycle? And you felt that they were old enough to handle a set of wheels, uh, that they uh, have some some good common sense. You'd say, well, yeah, I think about that because you're my child. See, when you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father, you can ask what you will, and God who hears, if it's in his will, will answer it. But the Bible tells us, really, the only prayer that the that, that, um, that God hears from an ungodly person is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I mean, you need to first get right with God, which then gets the sin out, which then allows the, the heart and the Spirit of God to work in an individual's life. So... Regardless, Lisa, of the condition of that other person, God honors you because he loves you. You're his child. And so that uh, two or or three, uh, even if they're ungodly, that is not what what moves the heart of God. It's you being his child uh, does that. And I think that's so important when we realize, because again, when you remember um, uh, the Metagadera, who was demon-possessed, 
um, you know, they didn't want Jesus. That man didn't want Jesus there because he's going to deliver the demons out of him. But it didn't matter because Jesus took authority in that situation over that person who was not a believer. And he was delivered from the devils. So understanding that God honors you as his child. And again, a child of God has more rights than anybody else. Uh, And so always remember that when you pray, Jesus said in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. That's how God wants us to relate to him. Not as an unknowable, far out, beyond the planet's deity, but as a child coming to their father. Paul says it like this, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, we cry, Daddy. That's the relationship God wants. And only, really, honestly, friends, only real Christianity offers that. Because the rest of the religions, though they might refer to God as Father, it's still based on a works trip. You you, you got to wear undergarments, or you got to get sealed in a temple, or you got to sell flowers in airports, or go door to door, or give all your money, or have perfect church attendance, or whatever it might be. Well, listen, I, I've been around children enough. I've been around my kids enough to know that they come to me whenever they want, whatever they've done, right or wrong, and I'll listen to them. They don't have to come to me saying, well, you know, Dad, you really need to listen to me right now because, you know, I sold a lot of flowers in the airport, you know, and uh, did some fundraising. No, I, I, I just enjoy my kids coming to me, even with their broken things, yeah. because that's the way God wants us to relate to him. So, uh, again, Lisa, I would just encourage you to, to understand uh, again, that that father-child relationship, not bearing whether or not even the people around you are Christians or even right with God for that matter. Any last thoughts? Yeah, and Mike, I think it's really important too for us to understand um, that when it comes to prayer, we we have um, our intercessor in heaven, Jesus, who is our way into the Father. We don't need another man. We don't need the pastor present. Um, you know, we don't need anyone around us for us to be able to pray and God to hear our prayers. And Jesus made that very clear. And in also in Mark chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, he said, those that believe, uh, he wasn't saying just the disciples, uh, but those who believe, believe in what? Believe in the gospel, believe in him. Uh, then they can pray for the sick. And you read that in um, in uh, Mark chapter 16, toward the end of the, the, the chapter there. So he makes it very clear that we can do that. Mike? Amen. So, Lisa, I hope that answers it for you. Thank you very much. Stay in line. We'll send you out the movie, Jesus. Great to show your friends. And we're coming up on a break. Again, the number 8888-ASK-CSN. And we'll be back for more right after this. We'll be right back. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan, double MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. 
People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. More than ever, pastors need to feel people's love and support. Over the last few years, many pastors have seriously considered leaving their church. But 1 Thessalonians 5.12 instructs all churches and all Christians to show and share their deep appreciation for those who minister to them. There is no better time to do this than Pastor Appreciation Month in October. And there's no better way to do it than using the easy as one, two, three, bless your pastor materials that are available for free at blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. Plus, the great news is that if your church uses the one, two, three, bless your pastor materials, the pastors at your church will be offered a $300 scholarship application to attend a Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Retreat. What a blessing this will be to your pastors and their spouses. For free materials, go to blessyourpastor.org. That's blessyourpastor.org. back to part two of To Every Man Answer here on this Thursday afternoon with Scott Parker. I'm your host, Mike Kessler, and uh, we're going to go back to the phones again. If you want to be part of the program today, 8888-ASK-CSN. Got a couple lines open. If you want to call, you're sure to get on right now. Let's go to Elizabeth in Roseburg, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hello. How may um, we help? wondering if you can elaborate on ACT. 25 8 and 28 17. Okay, and what's your question Paul, about that? Well, Paul says he is uh, neither offended against the law of the Jews and the Templar Caesar. That was 30 years or so after Christ's death. Mm-hmm. So he was a Jew following Jewish law, correct? Well, he, yeah, and and under Paul's understanding was that Jesus was the complete fulfillment of all the law and the righteous requirements thereof. Yeah. So well, I'm wondering, um, I guess, why Christians uh, celebrate on Sunday and the Jews still celebrate on Saturday. Well, the the Jews, the Sabbath is still Saturday. But we find that um, to commemorate Jesus raising from the dead, uh, they worshiped on Sunday. Now, it doesn't matter whether it's Saturday or Sunday, because worshiping on Saturday or Sunday doesn't make you any more of a Christian than worshiping on Wednesday. And for many people in the paramedic world, police force, fire department, those kinds of people— Their day of rest might be a Tuesday or a Thursday. In fact, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you concerning new moons and Sabbaths and all those kinds of things, because Jesus was the fulfillment of the righteous requirement of the Sabbath. But we do, I still believe, need to take a day off a week, 
that we just enjoy what God's given us to enjoy the blessings of God. Otherwise, the world has a, has a, a, has a name for it, keeping your nose to the old grindstone. Well, they also say, yeah, you know, stop and smell the roses. Even the world recognizes the importance of taking a day off. And uh, the problem is a lot of people think, well, you know, uh, I, I, I accept Jesus as my Savior, and, and thank you, Father, for uh, adopting me into your family. But, but you know, I can't trust you uh, for my daily provision, so I'm just going to work seven days a week. No, God says, you take a day off, I'll take care of the rest. And I believe it's because of that. This is why, again, trusting God and saying, okay, God, you're the one that's really going to make the difference, not me working seven days a week. Or in the other hand, as it says back in Deuteronomy, it says that, that again, uh, six days thou shalt work and on the seventh you'll rest. Um, I know some people that won't work any day of the week. They're just lazy. But I do believe that, again, the righteous requirement of the law is that we have come to Christ. He is our Sabbath rest. Your thoughts? Yeah, exactly. And Elizabeth, it's, you know, it's important to understand, too, that when you're reading the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, that after the disciples um, were filled with the Holy Spirit, um, you know, this is all after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to heaven. Uh, the day of Pentecost comes, the church is born. And what you'll see is after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, the apostles didn't cease being Jewish. They were still Jews. And that's why you see, you know, Acts chapter 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is born. And then Acts chapter 3, you see Peter and John going to the temple uh, like they did every single day at the hour of prayer at the temple. Um, and so what they were doing, and I hope this makes a little sense here, um, what they were doing is they were actually practicing their Judaism in light of the fact that they understood now that Jesus is was their Messiah. In other words, because they were Jews, they didn't cease being Jews when they became Christians. And what's interesting is they still did, quote, Jewish things. <laughs> they still... Uh, you know, did obey some of the things written in the law because, but the reason they did it was not for the sake of righteousness to be right with God. They did it because they now understood what it really meant. As Mike said, um, the substance of the law, what the law was pointing to was Jesus. And so they, they fought, they, they continued, you know, uh, keeping the law in a certain sense. Uh, in light of their understanding that it was all fulfilled in Christ. And so I think that's important to understand. I think there's another important thing to understand here too, Elizabeth, that might help a little too, is the fact that when you read the New Testament, um, you will see that when it comes to God's law, okay, and, and, and the rabbis say they've counted and hey, there's 613 laws in God's law, uh, back in the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. Well, what's interesting is, um, the part of the law that applies to every person, uh, all over the planet in all times is God's moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. It, it doesn't matter, uh, who it is, uh, on the earth, whether they have a Bible or they don't have a Bible. Paul actually tells us that God has written his law upon the conscience of man. 
That's why you can go to a country in the middle of the jungle somewhere where they don't have a Bible, and they know it's wrong to steal. Uh, they know it's wrong to take someone's wife because God has written that law of right and wrong, his moral law on our hearts. Well, here's what's interesting. In the New Testament, every one of the Ten Commandments is repeated for us by the New Testament writers that as Christians, we should obey, except for one. And the only one that's not repeated where the apostles are telling Christians, hey, do this, the only one is the Sabbath day. And why is that? Well, it's because what Mike said, because the Sabbath was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is our rest. He is our Sabbath. And that's why Paul would say in Colossians 2, as Mike said, don't judge each other when it comes to Sabbath days. Um, but it's very interesting when you look at that and you understand that, you know, the New Testament tells us not to steal. It, it tells us not to, you know, not, not to murder. I mean, it, it tells us all those things. But the, the Sabbath day was a covenant between God and the Jewish people and specifically for them. And that that's why when you come to the New Testament, we are not told to keep the Sabbath. And so uh, it makes perfect sense when you really understand the law of God as a whole, and then you understand particularly the Ten Commandments as God's moral law, how it applies to us. Now, let me say this, because uh, somebody may be, may be hearing this and thinking, oh, you mean as Christians, you know, we, we have to keep the Ten Commandments to be right with God? No, that's not what I'm saying. We're right with God through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. But again, when it comes to God's moral law, he's written that law upon our hearts. You know, right is right and wrong is wrong. Why? Because of what God says in the Ten Commandments. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us as believers in Christ, our righteousness before God is gained through faith, not through our works. But if we truly have real faith, then it's going to be seen in our works and how we live. And so that's why Paul in Romans 3 would say a man is justified before God by faith alone. But then James would say, hey, if a man says he has faith but has no works, can that kind of faith save him? And he says no, because the proof of our faith in God is how we live. Uh, so it's important to understand that. So when you really understand that, then you kind of understand why we're not told to keep the Sabbath, because that was the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated for us in the New Testament. Mike? I hope that helps. Yes, but I still don't. Uh, Jesus and the apostles followed up that said we're, there's no difference now between Jew and Greek, black and white, male and female even. He says there's no difference. Well, so, there, 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 of course, there's a difference in that, of course, we, we have different backgrounds. But in Christ, when we come to Jesus, the way we come to Jesus we all come to Jesus the same way through the blood of the cross. There's not a lot of different ways to to heaven. Uh, there's only one way to heaven, and so in that, um, God doesn't hold favorites. Now, of course, on this earth, we we find that we don't find women priests in the Old Testament or women pastors in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that God doesn't view us in, in His love all the same, but just as there are roles in the Bible. There are roles in the church, and that's okay. But what we want to be careful of is is to say, well, there's no difference between male or female. Well, the transgender people got a hold of that, and they have warped that verse into the stratosphere, because that's not what the verse is saying. 
The verse is saying that we all come to Christ the same way. God loves us the same way. But to say that there is no difference between a male and a female, well, of course there is. And we know that. But that obviously is not what Paul's talking about. Any last thoughts? Uh, no, I, I think we've covered it pretty good there, Mike. Okay. You know, it, I, I think it is, I, but what you said, I think it is un, important to understand the cultural differences. Uh, that's, that's huge be, because the apostles, you know, and, and Jesus himself, I mean, they, they, they were from Israel. They were, they're Jews. And again, because they became Christians didn't mean they ceased their being part of their culture. Uh, in that sense, uh, it's a, it was the same way in Acts chapter 15, whenever the Jews uh, from Jerusalem, it says were, were, they were going up to Antioch and they were trying to tell the Gentile believers in Jesus up there that they had to become Jewish in order to be a Christian. <laughs> and that that was is what sparked the whole first church council where the apostles got together. And here's the question they answered. How Jewish does a Gentile have to be in order to be a Christian? And you can read about that in, in uh, Acts chapter 15. And all the apostles said, you know what? Just on the simple preaching of faith in Jesus, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit. And so uh, it was even Peter who said, um, you know, why should we put a burden upon the Gentiles that even we as Jews and our fathers couldn't bear. <laughs> so that I think that makes it so very clear um, that, you know, even the apostles, again, after Jesus went to heaven, uh, even though they still did, quote, Jewish things, they didn't do it to gain their right, their right relationship with God. They did it because they now understood the law in light of Jesus and him being the fulfillment of it all. And I think that is important to make a distinction there. Elizabeth, I hope that answers it for you. Thank you. God bless you. Stay in line if you like. Send you out the movie Jesus. Uh, great to watch. And we'll go to Carol, Oklahoma City. Hi, welcome. Hi there. How are you guys today? Good. How may we help? Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for all that you do for so many. I, I'm just very, we're very blessed by you. I wanted to ask, um, I find that when I, especially when I'm serving a lot and when I'm, um, I'm, I'm trying to do what God has called me to do, that I find that Satan gets in, gets in the details, and sometimes it's like pretty intense how he can get in the details. And I was just wondering if you could tell me how what a good way to pray to um, to to God when we when we um, kind of realize that Satan's kind of getting in the details and trying to prevent us from doing God's work. Well, I, you know, I always believe that, again, praying in the Spirit is great. You know, the Bible, Paul even says praying in groanings. Um, uh, I think that sometimes I've, I've looked at situations and they're so complicated, all I do is go, oh, Lord, you know, just because God knows. Uh, I think if you have a prayer language, to pray in a prayer language. I think if you, uh, you know, just bringing it to the Lord, getting alone with the Lord, I think is so important. Your thoughts? Mike, I agree. And you know, Paul, when he talked about the armor of God, uh, he said that what we do as Christians is that we stand. 
that we 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 literally stand in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. Um, he starts that whole diatribe in in, in uh, Ephesians chapter six off with finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. But it's interesting as you go through the armor of God. Um, what Paul does is he ends it in verse eighteen by saying, "Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit." And so you know. Prayer is a part of that armor of God um, that is very important for us to do. And, and I would say this also, um, I would commend you to um, James chapter 4, verse 7, um, because, and here's why I say this, I don't know anyone who was more attacked by Satan directly himself than our Lord Jesus. And here's what's interesting. If you go back to Matthew chapter 3 and 4, what you will see is that Jesus, in obedience to his father, submitted to his father by being baptized. And then he had the Holy Spirit come upon him. And then in chapter four, immediately after that, the spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. And so what's interesting is when you look at that, there's a principle you see in James chapter four, verse seven. And here's what it says. It says, therefore, submit to God. In other words, when Satan is coming at us hard and heavy, what we are to do is we are to go to God immediately and submit and surrender ourselves to him. Again, I believe that's how we come under that, uh, that uh, what do I want to say, that, that covering of his power and his might is when Satan comes after us, we don't go after Satan. We go after the Lord. <laughs> we go to him, see. And I think it can become a distraction if when we're being attacked by the enemy, um, that we, you know, there, there are some Christians who want to, want to pray. And instead of praying to Jesus and, and or let me say it this way, instead of praying to God uh, through Jesus, what they'll do is they'll basically pray to the devil. Uh, they'll talk to the devil. They'll rebuke the devil to where it's like their prayer is like to the devil. Well, let me tell you what that is. That's distraction. That's what Satan wants. Satan loves attention. He loves for us to stop in our tracks and go, oh, no, he's so powerful. We need to do something. And he loves that. But what you see with Jesus is Jesus submitted himself to God. Then the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then when Satan came, he had the strength. He had the word of God. He had what he needed to be able to say no to all of Satan's temptations. And I think it's the same for us because James says in James 4, 7, submit to God, number one. Then he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And when you go back to Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, you'll see when Jesus was tempted, that's the exact same um, formula, if you want to use that word, or progression that we see in the life of Jesus. So I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I think, as as Mike said, praying in the spirit, if you've been given that gift, uh, Paul, you know, uh, uh, confirms that in Ephesians chapter six with all kinds of prayer, we should be praying. Um, that's the way we submit to the Lord is through prayer. Um, but then we trust the Lord uh, to fight that battle for us. So I would say what you want to do is you want to, you want to focus, uh, your prayer more on the Lord than you do the devil. Um, and just let the Lord rebuke him. Um, I think, I think about the book of Jude, you know, where, where Jude talks about this whole thing. Um, you know, where, uh, Michael, the archangel was, was, uh, contending with, uh, with the devil about the body of Moses. And, you know, 
it doesn't say that Michael fought with the devil in the sense of argued with him. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. And I actually think that's a good principle is for us to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, you know, the devil's on my back. Hey, I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, to fight my battle. I'm going to ask you to rebuke him. And uh, I think I think that's actually better than us um, ourselves speaking to the devil and rebuking him and talking to him. Because, again, I think that's a distraction. I think that's what he wants. Mike? Hope that helps. Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you so much. That was that blessed me so much. God bless you guys. Carol, God bless you. And uh, stay in line. We'll send you out some books and some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy. Send you out Time to Grow as well as the movie Jesus. Let's go to Nikki, Boise, Idaho. Hi, welcome. Call. I, I listened to you on the way home from work, and I've never heard this question come up. So hopefully you can answer it for me. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, I know that the church is raptured before the tribulation happens, and this includes all children, any adults with disabilities who are um, have not reached the age of accountability. Um, there will be marriages, births, deaths during the tribulation period. And my question is, for those children that are born during the tribulation period mm-hmm. and their parents decide that they will get a mark put on their child because that is just the way things are now, what happens to those children? Well, that's is- a great question. And, and uh, you know, I believe that God's a fair God. Uh, If something was placed on you and you had no say about it, I think that's a little bit different picture um, than than that. But one of the things that we do know, those, a pastor friend of mine years ago at a a church in in, uh, Walnut, California, out by Pomona, uh, George Kreitz, he, he said something I thought was so good and I've remembered it my whole life. He says, the mark of the beast appears on the heart long before it ever shows up on the hand or on the forehead. That's yeah. really true. And I really believe that that is really a person declaring their allegiance to the one world order. Now, as far as a baby or, or a small child, I believe God's a fair God. And that would be the only exclusion that I can see in that. Your thoughts? That's exactly right, Mike. I, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, I, I think, too, Nikki, I think it's important to understand that when you read the book of Revelation and it talks about people receiving the mark, what's always coupled with that is the fact, as Mike said, is the fact that they worship the image of the beast. You never see in the in the book of Revelation people just lining up to take the mark so they can get some food. And, and then they were like, you know, somehow they were tricked in taking the mark. Um, and that's why I love the quote Mike, Mike just shared, uh, because that's true. What you see coupled with taking the mark is always an allegiance to the Antichrist, worshiping his image. Now, as I read the book of Revelation, I do get this sense um, that the people there that are taking the mark, they're doing it consciously. Um, I mean, they're they're deceived in the sense that they believe that the Antichrist is the answer to their problems and that he's the real Christ, that's where they're deceived. But as far as taking the mark, when they actually do it, they're not deceived because they know what they're doing because, again, they have to consciously worship the image of the beast and take the mark in order to get the, the quote, benefits of it. 
And also it talks about having the mark has to do with buying and selling. And that to me um, lends to the fact that we're speaking here more of adults than what we are children. So I really don't see, and it's just my opinion, as I read the book of Revelation, I don't see anywhere where it speaks of children, um, you know, who can't buy and who, who don't buy and sell, you know, and don't have that, those kind of, um, decision making skills and all of that, taking the mark of the beast. I think it's people who, you know, are again, deliberately wanting to provide for their own needs. And so in doing that, this is what they do. And so, um, Nikki, it is a great question, as Mike said. Um, but as I read the book of Revelation, and again, I, I this is my opinion, I don't see that being an issue. I really don't, uh, because I think, again, that what's going to happen is this is going to be more the parents of the children making this decision for themselves who are doing the buying and the selling, buying groceries for their kids and stuff like that. So I uh, hope that maybe helps just a little bit. Mike? Hope that helps. It it does, and 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 I I rest on his promises all the time because I have an 18 year old son who is cognitively impaired, so he has a special need, and he is not he understands that God loves him, that Jesus died for him, and he says Jesus in heart, even though I I I don't know how much he understands you know of God's grace and His love, but I rest knowing that when the when the rapture happens. He will be gone. He will be with us. Sure. I, I, I believe that. And I, I think God extends especially mercy to those whose uh, brains don't work right. Um, uh, and, and my heart goes out to him. We live in a fallen world, and uh, some of us have different ailments, diabetes, um, uh, you know, different things that we all have. Um, but I think God, especially with with this, these bodies that we live in, this side of heaven, um, I, I know God is especially, especially kind-hearted towards uh, those that are ill, and so um, I, 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 you know, always look for God's great mercy in situations like that. Nikki, I hope that helps. It does. Thank you so much, Pastors. I appreciate it. Stay in line. Uh, send you out the movie Jesus. I'm sure your family will like it and enjoy that. Let's go to Stephen in Nevada. Hi, welcome. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good. We've only so, got 45 seconds. How can we help the best we can quickly? Uh, all right, quickly. So the law, or I should say the commandments that were given to man after Jesus uh, died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, all of those things were supposed to be the road that we travel on, correct? Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, the, God's law is good. The problem is, in an old sinful body, we can't live that way. We have to live in Christ's righteousness. We have to put on His robe of righteousness that allows us to to be what God wants us to be. Now, Stephen, I, I really want to get into your question more. And if you can call back tomorrow, uh, we'll be glad to uh, go into your question more. But I didn't want to leave you hanging. Uh, and because uh, very important about that particular topic. We're out of time, everyone. And uh, thanks so much, Scott, for being on the air with us today. 
Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to being back with you tomorrow. Until then, God to bless you. Good night. more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 